You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Jason Kemp. I have the privilege of um, sitting with some friends of ours that uh, we've known for a good long while. This is Daniel and Jana Ross. Um, Daniel, I remember doing uh, Nerf Gun Wars with you in your home when you were a kid. Oh, I was um, going to say a couple years ago? Well, that too. I mean, just because we grew up doesn't mean we stopped, right? Uh, we have a picture from Daniel's home when, uh, you know, my daughter, Sarah, who's, you know, graduated University of Evansville. Um, she had Nerf darts stuck across her forehead like the Statue of Liberty when she was about three or four years old. Um, she will love me telling that story. She'll be proud of that because uh, she loves public attention. So, <laughs> um, but uh, Daniel and Jana, uh, we've known them for a long time. New Hope, we have supported them as missionaries to Ukraine for uh, quite a few years here at New Hope. And uh, we have the opportunity um, fortunate for us to get to hear from you, but uh, unfortunate circumstances. So, yeah, when we live in Ukraine, there's a war. Times are hard. When times are hard, there are two practices that are really foundational: honesty and gratitude. So, honestly, uh, this is not where we want to be today. With you in the states, with you guys, we want to be in Ukraine, in our home, in our bed, with our kitchen everything, working on projects that we had planned for this year for, that we've been working towards for years. And we can't be there. We actually want to be in the Czech Republic with the people who have evacuated to the Czech Republic, who are living split families, who are just mourning and just trying to make things work. We want to be there taking care of them and supporting them, but we can't be there because my 90 days have expired and we don't have a visa yet. The visa process is going to take anywhere from two to six months. Um, and so we have to yeah, we can't be where we want to be. That's the honest part. The gratitude part is we have the connections to be here in the States and to share what's happening in Ukraine, bring awareness, raise funds and support for what's happening there. And so we are grateful for that, even though this is not where we want to be today. So thank you. So we're, um, they flew in Thursday night and they've been staying in our home and uh, we got an Amish crack donut yesterday. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, there have been small things, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, we're just, um, it's hard. And I don't know how to start because um, you guys have been married 15 years. 11 of those years you have spent in Ukraine. So imagine living two-thirds of your adult married life. You're raising uh, Oliver, who is two and a half years old. Um, this is where you've chosen to call home. And you can't even go into the country, you can't even fly over the ocean to be near the country that you call home, much less in your home. And, um, you know, and so it's easy for us to think, oh, we're so glad you're safe. And we are. We're glad you and all the people of Safe Haven Evergreen are safe so far. Um, but man, yeah, it's, we're glad you're here, but we know. Um, so we want to learn a little bit about how ministry has changed, how things have just shifted. Um, so Dan Jana, help us connect the dots a little bit, because um, you've spoken here at New Hope before. Remind us a little bit about what you guys have been doing through those first 11 years. Okay. So we moved over 11 years ago to do orphan ministry. 
and we did camps, orphanage visits and stuff, but what we uh, more are focused right now is just partnering with Ukrainian Christians to provide Christ-centered homes for kids. And so this looks different in different circumstances, but um, we do a lot of just one-time gifts or helping with the house or an addition so people can take in kids, or our biggest project is Safe Haven Transition Home. And you can see the lineup of kids here. This is Anya and Bogdan's home. They're the house parents. They've been doing this over 20 years. They've had over 80 teens from the orphanage live through, uh, come through their home to learn life skills, complete education, um, just be discipled, see what a family looks like, because they've never experienced that. And so this is our main project. This is what we oversee, what we do, fundraise for. Um, out of this home came Vitalik and Lena. They both grew up in the orphanage. They decided to live at Safe Haven Transition Home after they graduated from the orphanage. And it just, the home made such a huge difference in their lives. They, um, Anya and Bogdan invested a lot in them. Vitalik and Lena call Anya and Bogdan mom and dad. And Bogdan, you know, gave Lena away at her wedding to Vitalik. Um, but they wanted to give back. They wanted to serve and thought, we want to take in kids too. We want to work with, you know, kids just like us. And so they were house parents at a children's home for four years. And they're amazing because, again, they can re they relate to the kids. They know, you know, what it's like. And the structure there was a little difficult. And so they, um, the turnover of kids was really high. And they wanted something more permanent. So they resigned from that job and just had this big dream to be a foster family. They wanted a you know, more permanent um, placement of kids. And so this past summer, they um, bought this house. We helped them out a little bit. This is just a house, a little tiny shack in the village. And um, Daniel was going to go and do a big addition onto this house um, this spring, like basically now. Um, yeah, our hope is it would be um, largely completed by now. Mm-hmm. And so that they could take in kids in this area. And um, so we've been working toward this goal. We also had this big dream to start a book business, um, selling used English books so that our ministries we could become a little more self-sustainable. And so we'd been starting to collect books and starting to work on you know, some different uh, aspects of that. And so we kind of had that as a big dream you know, for now as well. But um, things change fast. Things change fast. 115 days ago, right? 116. Mm -hmm. You looked at it. All right. Yeah. We were a day off. Yeah. Okay. All right. So 116 years ago. Years. <laughs> feels like years. I bet it feels like Set. years. Yes. Yeah. Um, 115, 16 days. I'm just going to stop saying the number. A while back, <laughs> um, a big change happened. So tell us about the process of... Um, finding out that war had been declared and um, evacuation needed to take place. So we were in the States on furlough. Um, we were fundraising, seeing family and stuff. We were in California visiting my aunt when um, Russia invaded Ukraine. And so uh, Lana, the future foster mom at Evergreen Home, she's my closest friend and I talked to her the most during this time, and so I'm just going to share it kind of from her perspective. Um, Vitalik, on February 24th, um, that was the day Russia invaded Ukraine. It was also their daughter's fifth birthday. They had all these plans to go party and do all the fun stuff for their daughter. Um, something else happened that day. 
he woke up to the sound of explosions at four in the morning and he looked out, he didn't see anything. It was kind of dark and he's kind of going, okay, what was that? Um, just a little bit later, Lena got a, a phone call from house dad, uh, Bogdan. Um, and he said, Lena, get out, run, get to safe haven as fast as you can. It started. And so, I mean, it was a question of whether Russia was going to invade or not. Everyone was kind of wondering and there was a lot of fear that they would and, and our worst fears came true. Um, and so, you know, it was just click and, and, and just instant panic, grab stuff, run, you know, what do you do? We have 10 minutes, grab something and, and go to safe haven. And so um, they had seen another family, you know, packing up their cars. They knew something probably was happening, but by the time they got out to their car, it was quiet, it was dark, there was nothing. And they just, like, we're the only ones who know. But they started driving to Safe Haven. They live about 20 minutes away. And the house mom at Safe Haven, Anya, called and said, can you pick up Pasha? That's their middle child. He's at a sleepover. And so they went and grabbed Pasha. And at that point, the traffic had become so bad that they decided to take a back road. And driving kind of through back roads and forests and if you want to know what driving under rocket fire is like, she said it was terrifying and you just want to run and hide. That's your instinct is just to kite cover, but you have to keep going. And so they kept going and made it to safe haven. They had a plan to kind of go through the city and just go west. They figured west was going to be a little bit safer than Kiev. Kiev was being targeted. Um, all major cities were being targeted. Um, but again, bumper to bumper traffic, and they're like, we're not gonna make it out. And so they had a three car caravan and decided to kind of go south and then west. And what was supposed to be an eight hour drive turned out to be two days, full days. About 30 hours on the road. 30 hours in the car. They, they camped in the car. They just would stop only when it was curfew, when you can't have lights on. Um, and she said it was just so scary because you don't know what's happening. You know, we're in the States watching the news and we have little bit of contact with them, little text here and there and stuff, but they, they didn't know. They couldn't, you know, see what was happening or the bridge that had been blown out and so they had to do another big detour. They had to cross a hydroelectric dam that was only one lane. And so they were on that bridge for two hours and she said, if you want to know what it feels like to be vulnerable, that was what it felt like because you don't know that's a target. A hydroelectric dam was a huge target and they're just sitting ducks in traffic waiting to get across this bridge. Um, they finally made it to Western Ukraine to a church. They had some contacts there and were waiting and completely traumatized. Um, you know, the messages, the phone calls I talked, they were just tears and what is happening what is happening, just shock, complete shock, because this is unfathomable, the evil. And once they got to their final location, you know, 30 hours later, we asked them, what, what's your next plan? And they were incapable of making decisions, which is when Jana really kicked into gear. Yeah, I was like, okay, I am I can see that they're in a fog. They're watching, they're glued to their phones and to the news, um, devastated as they're seeing not military targets that um, Russia's, you know, going for, civilian targets. I mean, a maternity hospital. a Many maternity hospitals. Many maternity hospitals, apartments, 
um, schools, kindergartens, hospitals, all being destroyed and just this complete chaos and destruction all around them. And so you know, they were struggling to just function. They said they weren't eating, they weren't sleeping, they weren't um, able to really do anything. And, and they were very traumatized that like even sounds were um, triggering. And so when they were running to the bomb shelters every couple minutes when it seemed like when they had um, sirens. And so they were at a place and I realized, okay, um, what, where can they go? I wanted them to evacuate. I knew they had the ultimate decision in this, but I wanted them to, you know, get out of the country. And so I started just doing research on places they could go, contacts we had. And we happened to have some friends from the Czech Republic who came to Ukraine to do a camp with us. Just young couple, they wanted to volunteer, and that was five years ago. Um, but they emailed us and said, hey, we're seeing what's happening, you know, the invasion, and, like, our country is doing a lot to help Ukrainian refugees. And they just detailed a whole list of things that was, go you know, going on. Um, and so I presented that to our group, and I said, I know, you know, this is, like, so hard, but here's basically three countries, pros and cons, the most information I could find, consider them, you know, what do you want to do? And I got a message at five in the morning saying, we, we have decided to go to Czech Republic. And so um, I was really relieved, but I know it was so hard for them because they were struggling with the idea of leaving. Um, they were really traumatized. And the biggest part is that men ages 18 to 60 were not allowed to leave. So that meant separating families being separated. Um, and so Daniel flew out like... Well, that, I'm going to stop right there. That, yeah. This is the family that was in Western Ukraine, the whole group. Only half of them were able to leave legally. That means they mm -hmm. had to split up husbands and wives, fathers and children, friends, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. mothers and sons. And that was really hard for them. And so once they made the decision, I got a plane. I was on a plane the next day. We drove to the border from the Czech Republic. It's about an eight-hour drive, and we met them. And they on the other side, had to get up that morning about 5 o'clock in the morning. We can go to the next picture. And they had to say, they had to say goodbye. And our friend Joe was there actually when he saw it. When they were saying goodbye, he said he felt so incredibly moved, felt like this is, this is such an intimate, powerful, horrible moment. He felt, didn't feel qualified to be there. Just watching them say goodbye for who knows how long. Or if they'd ever get to see them again. And you can, you can see the exhaustion and just the emotion in their faces in this picture as they're in the van crammed into one, 12 people crammed into a nine-passenger van to make a two-hour drive to the, to the border. And then they stood at the border. We can go to the next one. Um, they stood at the border for nine hours. And I was on the other side and watching as people came out, just trickling out. And so many young mothers with tiny babies coming across by themselves. And just, just really hit me. This war is going to make a lot of orphans. It's going to make a lot of single moms, but it already has made so many single moms because, because of the separation of families that has taken place. And I, I was watching all these people recognizing they're coming into a country they've probably never been into. So many of them would come out, and there were so many volunteers. It was amazing watching the way the world was responding and saying, we're going to take care of you people. But they would come across the border, 
And someone would just say, okay, we want to get you some food. We want you to get some drink. And we need to have a talk. And they were really slow. They were really patient with them. And then they, then comes the most important question is, where do you want to go? And over half of the people who crossed the border into Poland, they just said, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where I can go. That was really hard. You know, thankfully, our, our people waited for nine hours at the border. We can go two, two pictures ahead. Um, they waited nine hours trying to cross in the, in the freezing cold and the snow, crossing by foot. Uh, they have, their youngest was, a, was five years old, waiting that long a time. We were actually, I was waiting for this girl in the pink jacket with a backpack because I knew she, was a, she wasn't one of us and she was ahead of them. And we're just not knowing when they're going to cross. And we cross and just big hugs. And I was so grateful at that moment that I was, they were able to cross into this place that most of them had never left Ukraine. They were able to cross into a new country without so much that was familiar to them. And they were able to see my face, a face that they've known for 10 years. And we were able to get in a car and go to one specific location and they were able to stay. Our people have been really blessed. And there are so many millions of Ukrainians who don't have the support structure that our guys have. Um, it breaks my heart. So for 11 years, you guys have collected, uh, well, at New Hope, we did some grad bags that we sent your way for graduating seniors, I think. We've collected um, socks and underwear and coats and, you know, clothing, and we've sent money, you know. Um, you guys have been collecting, you know, secondhand English books, um, but then ministry has shifted hugely, hasn't it? And so how, what are some of the ministry tools that you are now collecting? Uh, because you haven't, uh, Daniel, you yourself have not stayed in the Czech Republic. You've had an opportunity to go back in to Ukraine. So tell us a little bit about that aspect. Yeah, we go from collecting socks and clothing and blankets for kids to collecting um, Israeli bandages. So I didn't even know what that was. Um, tactical tourniquets, bulletproof vests, sleeping bags, uh, solar-powered batteries. This last trip that I took into Ukraine was just a couple. I was actually in Ukraine on Monday. Um, but this last trip I took in, we took in almost 100 pounds of salt because one of the things that the Russians have hit in the last 100 days is one of the major salt processing plants in Ukraine. And so salt is disappearing in the country, only the imported stuff. Most Ukrainians live on a couple hundred dollars a month. They have to prepare their own food and like pack their own food, do canning for the winter to be able to survive. You can't do that without salt. This is, this is an intentional strike trying to kill the population of Ukraine. Um, but that was hard, coming into a new country in the Czech Republic and trying to figure, like, I don't know where to buy bulletproof vests in Ukraine, but I don't know how to do it. I definitely don't know how to do it here. And everything took so long. Uh, we had Bogdan, the house dad of Safe Haven, one of, one of my oldest friends in Ukraine, is serving. Yeah, this is Sam. He's second to the right in this picture. He started out at the beginning serving with his God Squad. It's a biker's club, um, and they started running aid in everywhere that they could, figuring out where the needs were and meeting it, just, just working, driving all over the country into hot zones, evacuating people, doing so much work. And we were just asking them, what do you need? And we were not able to keep up with them. Um, now, in the last month and a half, he's been actually serving in, in the military. 
And he told us, uh, as we were trying to collect Israeli bandages, which are these bandages you can just wrap up and they actually seal the wound, stop the bleeding, sterilize everything. And so you can function, you can live for a good while of time. He basically just puts paws on the wound and you can get someone to a hospital and they can get treated. And at least two of the guys in his unit, he said, if they'd had Israeli bandages in time, they would have survived. This is all while I was trying to figure out how to pay for Israeli bandages so they could get them into the country. And that was, that broke my heart. Like, if I'd have worked faster, people could have been, could have survived. Yeah. I don't know how to get with that, deal with that. Can we go to the, can we go to the video? Um, I've been in the country a couple of times. This, this video is just 100 days and 100 seconds of what's been happening in Ukraine all over the country. But we've experienced this and heard this much more on the personal level. Anya and Bogdan's parents that were living in occupied territory, occupied from day one. Uh, Anya and Bogdan did not hear from their parents for over 50 days. They didn't know if they were alive. They didn't know if they had starved to death or were shot on the streets. Uh, Anya's brother was also in this area. He went on the street twice to try to scrounge food, and he was shot out three times in those two times two times he tried to leave the country the, his home because he is of military age no other reason he's not a military person um, they all of them were down to eating food once a day when the war was happening all around them and ukraine was making a stand and the world was cheering them on they didn't know what was going on they thought we're probably ukraine is no longer we're all a part of russia we don't know uh, one of our friends who's up in this area, we've worked with him many, many times. He was in his house with his three kids, and they got hit by a tank shell. And they, well, they managed to escape. All of them were safe, but they turned around and watched their house burn down to the ground. They're living with family now, all their stuff just in cars. Our place, right across the street from our apartment, there's been three missile strikes. Literally across the street, you can see it from our window. We have... Bogdan's part of the God Squad, a biker's group, their clubhouse, and the, the automotive shop that's right next door that's one of his friends. Those were all destroyed. That's, I wanted to limit myself. That's 90 seconds of the destruction that I know of, that people I know have been through in the last 100 days. There has been so much destruction in this country. But yet in the midst of that, have you seen God's hand? Yeah. What is the thread of God's grace and mercy in the midst of all this? I'm going to totally plagiarize my friend here um, because he said it so well, Joe. Um, he said, I have seen God work more in the last, at this point, 116 days than I have in my entire life. And I understand him less than I have in my entire life. Um. We have seen and heard stories of so many people in Ukraine who have said, I do not believe in God. I will not believe in God. Stop and turn around and say, I need God. I need to believe that there is a bigger something in this world in the middle of all this chaos. And on the other side, we've seen people who believe and have trusted and faithful follow, faithfully followed God their entire lives or a huge chunk of their lives say, I don't, I, how do you believe in God in this time? Anya, the house mom of Safe Haven, is one of the most strong, faithful people that I've ever known. And she told me that the first two weeks of the war, she couldn't pray. She just could not pray. But being the faithful person she is, she would sit down with her kids at night, and they would read through the Psalms, the Psalms of Lament. 
And she said those were just like a medicine for all of their souls. The kids would just read it and like, oh, my gosh, this is, I could have written this. This was written 3,000 years ago. This is me. And so God met them there in that place, and they were able to get back to the place where they could pray. And so, yeah, it's, it has been a roller coaster, and it's been hard, but God is faithful. So moving forward, I mean, plans are, I mean, plans just are not there. Um, I mean, we do have plans. I mean, you're, you're heading to Chicago tomorrow. You're flying to Texas, Colorado to see family and raise some further support while you're here while you're waiting on that two to six month visa process, right? So as soon as you get a visa, you guys are jumping on a plane regardless, right? And so um, what, it, what does it look like supporting the people of Ukraine, supporting you guys moving forward? Um, I know you mentioned some you know, uh, challenges around food and things like that, um, but we were talking about gas lines earlier. Tell us a little bit about that and kind of what, how we can support moving forward. Okay. Um. Yeah, those are two different things. So the gas lines right now, um, I noticed that when we, the first time we drove into Ukraine, it's an eight hour drive from the border into Kyiv where we live. And about one out of every four or five gas stations are actually operating. And you can only buy five gallons at a time, which means there are lines of hours, like four and five hour lines going into every gas station for people just to try to get gas to make it through the day. Or in many cases, get it to make it through the next day. Um, we actually bought tanks in Poland and took them in, so we wouldn't be waiting in those lines and also not be using up someone else's gasoline. And so the needs are really critical right now. Most of our young men want, who are stuck in the country, they want to work, but they can't find work. There's no paid work. There are no resources. Like when I was there and talking to my friend who had his house destroyed by a tank. I was just like, I want to go, I want to go now and build with you. Let's rebuild your house. Let's get you back in there. But where are we going to find the resources? Because everything has been marshaled for the defense of Ukraine at this particular moment. And Jenna actually this morning was coming in. It's like, what is our plan? And our plan is very simple. We have had a lot of people give in the last hundred days, and we're hoping that people will continue to give as they continue to remember what's happening. And we are going to try to help those people that we know because there is so much need all over the country. We help where we can. Bogdan is connected to a battalion of 200 men. We try to provide them. He is in charge of getting the food and the clothing and everything that that unit needs to make it because they're just, they don't have the resources in the Ukrainian military. This is a volunteer unit. And so he's, we're providing him with whatever he needs, constantly in contact with him trying to get funds to our people who are purchasing food, who are helping out social services because so many people, the people who are at the lowest rungs of the society, they're the ones who are hurting the most. And so that's our plan is just when someone near us, someone connected to us needs help, we help them any way we can. We're also just asking for prayer. Uh, we believe in the power of prayer and just... <laughs> Anya told me the other day that she thinks Bogdan is alive because of all the people praying for him. Because he, he, everybody loves Bogdan and everyone wants him safe and home. So, um, you know, it's hard to fathom the amount of suffering happening in Ukraine. And so we're just wanting to lift up the people, especially all the victims of the violence. And um, people have lost homes, family jobs, livelihoods, dreams, um, futures for their children. And 
you know, I, I myself have a hard time processing it. And so it's overwhelming. <laughs> That's why, you know, taking it to God and saying, you know, this nation of 44 million people, which is about the size of Texas, the whole nation is traumatized. Two-thirds of the children are displaced, living displaced in Ukraine or outside of Ukraine. Uh, 350 children have died from a result of mortars and bombs and missiles and And they everything. estimate that 200,000 children have been taken by Russia. Mm-hmm. Stolen. Um, that's not to, you know, talk about the mass amounts of destruction across the entire country. Um, the reports coming out are horrific, and it's hard to to fathom of just, you know, I sometimes sit and think about what would it be like to have a loved one just buried in a mass grave, just thrown in a mass grave. There's no dignity in that. There's, it's so wrong. There's no, um, everything about this war is wrong. Or I saw a thing the other day just about like people saying, yeah, we saw the Russians march our neighbors into the forest and they haven't come back. And so they've been sending drones to try to find bodies because it's mined. The whole country's mined. There's like some 200,000, I shouldn't say numbers because I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. A huge chunk of Ukraine is mined. Well, and in and dangerous. around Kiev, they've already removed and cleared 50,000 mines. And that's one out of 25 regions in the country and not one that was as occupied as other regions. Yeah. Whole towns have been destroyed, just leveled. Just every building destroyed. Um, Mariupol, they estimate that 30,000 people have been killed there. Just civilians. These are not dangerous fascist Nazis like Russia claims. And so just praying for the Ukrainian people that, um, you know, somehow God can bring healing and just comfort and hope. I like this, the song that we sang, sang today talking about um, God is our only hope in the chaos. That's never spoken more or been more true to me than ever before. It just, um, I don't understand this war. My, my brain can't even really process it or under, like um, accept it um, at all. I'm still kind of in shock about it, but I know it does create opportunities to minister to people and let them know that we see them and God sees them. And that's, like Daniel said, our ministry now is doing that the best we can. Um, all across the country, we just are praying for people to stand up and help and serve and, and meet needs and, and share the hope. There is hope. Um, and then, yeah, if you just want to give help in this, in this, that's another option to... Uh, be involved and make a difference in the lives of our people in Czech Republic who are still in Ukraine, to us who are, you know, trying to minister and raise funds and, and do, you know, our role. Um, we are all just trying to partner together and right some wrongs if we can. So if, um, if you receive the email on Saturday mornings from New Hope, um, in there, there is this, this graphic that you see on the screen. Um, there's a paragraph, and at the bottom of that paragraph, there is a Donate Here link that goes directly to First Love International, which is where Daniel and Jana serve through, uh, through their mission agency. And, um, you know, please, please, please remember them um, in the relief efforts after 116 days. Um, it just kind of becomes the back burner news for us. And um, 
it is still a life and death situation and fight uh, for, for many families of, that are separated. And, and I just want to challenge us as New Hope to pray. As Jana said, as Daniel said, there's so many things we can be praying for. And so I just want to create some little parallels because, I mean, this isn't, this isn't, I mean, there's a ton of politics between Russia and Ukraine and the rest of the world and blah, 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 right? But I just want to create some real life parallels for us that as we're paying $5 a gallon for gas, there's people waiting four and five hours for just five gallons. And as we're wondering if Sam's is going to have toilet paper on the shelf, they're looking for bandages and tourniquets. And when we hit the clearance rack at Target, there's no bulletproof, bulletproof vests at Target. And when we show up at a restaurant and the drive through is a little long or the lobby's closed and it's drive through only and you have to go get back in your car, when any of those things happen, let us remember the people of Ukraine. Let us remember Daniel and Jana, the people of Safe Haven, of Evergreen House, and that our minor inconveniences that, yeah, they frustrate us, um, let it just spurn us to prayer and just pray wholeheartedly that in the middle of displacement, in the middle of trauma and lives lost, property damaged, just pray, just pray. Philippians 2 says, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but to consider others better than yourself. And then a couple of verses later, it says, so here's the attitude of Christ Jesus that you should have in your life as well. And so I just want to encourage you guys that I absolutely see you living out the gospel in your lives. That for 11 years, you have moved to a foreign country. You have called a new place and new people home and family and friends. And um, thank you for being like Jesus in every corner of this world, every corner of our culture, your culture. And then you come back and, um, you know, you're displaced too. You're traumatized. And so we pray for you. We support you all. And um, thank you for sharing this morning. We really appreciate that. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.